Ever had a day that totally changed on you? You know, you wake up thinking one thing, and then, uh, then all of a sudden the day is entirely different, you know? And uh, I had to promise that I wouldn't throw uh, any grapefruits today, and so I'm going to juggle. But when I made the promise, I said, actually, I'm lying. So if I make a promise that I'm not going to throw grapefruits, and then I say I'm lying, I can still throw grapefruits, and if you don't have your head up at Timberwood Church, you're going to be in trouble because we want you to pay attention. Can I get one back there? This is the throw that Tanya's worried about because it has to go a little lower, a little hotter, just to make it to the back. Almost. So, okay, growing up, grapefruit, yeah, I really don't deserve applause for that. So I've, that's delayed for the music, but it's not for me. So growing up, eating grapefruits, right? My mom would cut them in half and then open them and then cut them again, okay, so they get out easy and sprinkle a little sugar on it so that the grapefruit didn't taste so grapefruity. And then uh, years later, I'm on the top of Palisade Head as a somewhat defiant, seeking, searching, do-rag-wearing college student in between climbing routes, and I'm peeling a grapefruit sun on my face, the, the water and the seemingly endless sea of blue on, on top of the highest vertical drop over water in the continental United States. I kid you not. By the way, I've misplaced my copy of Superior Climb, second edition. Um, if I lent it to you, that would be great if you could return it. If you ever find one, please, if you ever find one, they're out of print, okay? If you ever find one, buy it, get it to me. I'll reimburse you, or if you just want to give it as a gift, that's fine too. Four verses, right? Four verses. Part of a larger book, part of an anthology, which includes beautiful poetry, raw human emotion, a history of human psychology and sociology, theology, all the while pointing to a rather simple, yet elegant and costly solution to the question of why we are here and where we are going. Four verses. Verse number one. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away. Verse number two. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary said, teacher. Verse number three. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. The Father sent me. I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit forgive. Verse number four, Jesus said, peace, and to Thomas, touch my hands and my side, believe. The coolest thing that I've ever found, I found some cool things in my life, okay? I found shark's teeth on the beach, okay? I found agates, I found deer sheds, I found lost keys, I found lost driver's license. I once even lost my passport once. Luckily, I found that. Not a good thing to lose a passport when you're in a foreign country. I remember the discovery I made, the thing that I found the first time that I went to Florida with Tanya. It was a family affair. Um, my attendance was uh, compulsory, um, and... Uh, and it coincided with the opening of deer season. It was hard, right? Because in my family, okay, deer season, opening of deer season is on par with Mother's Day, and it's above Christmas and Easter. It's not that I really like deer season opener all that much, but that's what it was. But I was going. I was this grumpy traveling companion until I made a discovery. It was an early morning run. It was a, a dirt road, a field of citrus, ripe oranges, although they didn't look ripe. I jumped the bank, didn't even care that there was a gator, or if there was one, plucked a large, kind of orange, kind of pale, kind of green orb, peeled it, devouring the sweet and ascetic flesh, and there's a technical name for what I did, thievery, larceny. 
A bunch of years later, I'm in Spain, coming out of the town of Nahara. It's a beautiful morning, okay? Absolutely gorgeous. It was, it was climbing up out of Nahara. I can still picture it. And, and, and I was on the Camino de Santiago, passing through these fields of, of, of grapes. I hopped a ditch again and grabbed a morning snack. In Spain, along the Camino, now it's a lot easier to throw these. Mm, I taste just like this, almost. You want one? Oh, there you go. I hopped a ditch, grabbed a morning snack. Along the Camino, it's customary for farmers to leave the fruit or the grain on the rows closest to the pathway for pilgrims to eat on their journey. Just wonderful discoveries, right? Now imagine, not even looking for the discovery, not even looking for the something, and then making the discovery of a lifetime which turns out to be nothing, literally. Where you knew something was, it no longer is, and it's not a case of you losing it, but a case of it just being gone. Imagine if you could say, the coolest thing I ever found was nothing. And that is the reality of the text today. As we read it, you'll want to be aware of these things. There's this, there's this aspect of early morning grief, okay? Um, uh, morning, there's this idea of, of discovery, caution, and mystery. There's an idea that you wouldn't want to take the body and leave the wrapping paper. There's the idea that the mystery is solved, although not immediately. And there's these two big arcs that are critical to the arc of human history. One, life after death is possible. Lazarus was an early example. And number two, evil doesn't get to win. And finally, although you may hear other things, and if you do, great, accept that from the Holy Spirit. A discovery, a statement is made about how females are viewed. It's an intriguing thing that women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. To put it another way, the midwives are always right. Hashtag call the midwife. Listen to how John expresses it. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been rolled, taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were running, they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, that the disciple, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Something very familiar, a voice. Listening to the voice of God, listening for Jesus. She wasn't even thinking she'd be talking to Jesus. She came for an entirely different purpose. But when she heard her name, it was like a Celine Dion song, something very, very familiar. Mary. He was the first man who had ever said her name without an agenda. He was the first guy who didn't want something from her. He was the first guy that saw the inherent value that she possessed. And as I read this text, a couple of my favorite thoughts. Number one, what if we treated members of the opposite gender like Jesus did? What if we treated people of the same gender like Jesus did? What if we treated each other like Jesus treated humans? Second favorite thought, what if we listened for the voice of Jesus in our lives? Again, the text, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary churned and said, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you, for he had said this. He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. They want to be together but they're utterly and completely and totally freaked out. It's intriguing, right? Okay, at least I find it intriguing because I think Jesus could have knocked at the door and they would have let him in. I mean, knock at the door, hey, it's Jesus, let me in. And they were like, hey, open the door. But this would be way more dramatic, okay? Way more memorable. And if you can flex, why not? Although this wasn't the first time in which Jesus appeared or disappeared that seemed to violate the laws of physics, Although the old Google will tell us it is possible from a quantum physics perspective to pass through walls, I'm not a quantum physicist. Jesus said, peace, peace, and here is how we are going to win. Here are our tools. Peace, I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Peace to you. In the midst of death and loss and chaos and bewilderment, Christ enters our lives and says, peace to you. 
one of the critical things that Jesus enables his disciples to receive. A key idea in how we're going to win this thing is the peace of Christ. Number two, I'm sending you. In essence, Jesus is saying, I was sent, okay, I had a job to do. And my job was to tell people about the Father and his plan for redemption. Your job is to tell people about the Father and me and the plan of redemption and live a life consistent with the life that I've lived. In essence, sending them means they are representatives, they are agents committed to act in the best interests of Jesus. Breathing, breathing on them, breathing the Spirit on them. While the text doesn't tell us, I know that Jesus spoke Hebrew, he was a good Jew, and the Hebrew word for spirit and the Hebrew word for breath is the same word, it's ruach, R-U-A-C-H. And there's no way that this isn't in the back of Jesus' mind as he is saying this, as he is breathing, exhaling on them, and inviting them to breathe and to receive the Holy Spirit. The imagery, metaphorical, without a doubt, is literally breathing in God. Breath, Spirit, coming into their bodies. The promise of the Spirit And then forgiveness, because there's a lots of wrong in the world. Jesus knows, God knows, there's there's the need for a mechanism, an economic agent to free people from the eternal consequences of their missteps. And to this, we could add the life and teachings of Jesus, right? The Beatitudes, values, instructions, vigilance for the correct things, meek, hungry, merciful, pure heart. And the disciples, having had this encounter with Jesus, who was alive, who was beaten, who was dead, who was buried, and is now resurrected, how could they not recalibrate their entire lives from that day, the first day of the rest of their lives? And as we encounter the Christ, how can we not help but think about our lives differently? This, the first day of the rest of our lives. And here's where it becomes really critical. What if we simply stayed true to the life and teachings of Jesus. What if peace, what if sending, what if breathing, what if forgiveness were the economic realities with which we dealt and lived our lives? The text moves forward. One of my favorite characters. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas is one of my favorite chaps in the entire Bible. I think he gets a bad rap, okay? We've heard about him 2,000 years of Christian history, uh, doubting Thomas. 
you know, and it's a bad thing to be a doubt. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Oh, you're a doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. I'm like, no, he's a wanting to believe Thomas. I love that. I love someone who says, I want to believe, prove it to me. I love that. Thomas wants to believe. He comes to this point of life. And so he has this encounter, right? Same drill, eight days later. Disciples were inside. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus comes again. Again, he could have knocked. They know he's around. He could wipe up. Jesus showed up. Boom, he's right in their midst. And Thomas sees and discovers something that he will never forget on this first day of the rest of his life. Eight days later, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The first day of the rest of his life. Today is is our day of discovery, right? There's the familiar Jesus. Even for people who would say, I'm not all that religious, or I don't care all that much for faith, they've heard of Jesus. There's probably no one in this room that hasn't heard of Jesus. His voice, his his example, his teachings. And I know that a lot of people will object to faith because of all of the bad things that have been done in the name of Jesus. And that's like saying, I won't ever eat a grapefruit again because the wholesaler was a crook. I think some of us come to this weekend service with the baggage of a lot of bad fruit vendors, right? And I get it, right? I mean, we're here because we kind of have to be here, or maybe we think we should be here, but we really don't know how the whole faith, religion, organ, it just seems like, and I get it, I really do. Maybe not exactly like you. But I've been close to Christian folks who told me things that were true and then after the fact, they turned out not to be true. I've been told by by Christian elders that character matters until their person's character didn't matter. I've heard the ends don't justify the means until it was decided that it's okay to become what you hate as long as it's a good end result. I've been told these things, right? I've had a Christian businessman bounce two payroll checks. Why I would hang around for the second one? You got me. He was a Christian businessman. And I've caught preachers in bold-faced lies so they didn't have to face the music. And I'm not even talking about myself. (laughs) How often I find my own behavior wanting. The stupid things I've done and the stupid things I've said. In fact, I'd say if you want me to be perfect, 
I'll let you know right now, that's, that's probably not going to happen. And even in the midst of all of that, the fruit is still pretty good. Objecting to Jesus because of the yahoos and characters is like saying, I don't like grapefruit because of the fruit wholesaler. No, I, I like grapefruit because it tastes good and I want to eat it. Or in the case of grapefruit juice, unsweetened please, drink it. And so I appeal to your senses to believe in and follow Jesus. Don't follow people who claim to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't believe in people who claim to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. It's not that it's just good fruit. It's the best fruit. And it's why John wrote verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The meaning of the chapter, right? The meaning of the whole book. The meaning of the life of Jesus. The meaning and purpose of life that we get to live starting today the first day of the rest of our lives. Please pray with me. Father, for some of us, you're meeting in the chaos of our existence. And into our lives you come and whisper peace into our ears. And for some of us, oh great God, we've been burned badly by people who have claimed to represent you. Again, let us hear your voice, the peace that you offer, the relationship that you extend, the reality of what it means to follow you. For all of us, O oh great God, let us acknowledge the simple reality that this day is the first day of the rest of our lives. And let us be challenged by the notion of believing in Jesus Christ and following him.